Thanks for checking out our teaching from this week. Our hope is that it will encourage you to take the next step closer to finding and following Jesus. If you have been blessed by the ministry of Grace River and would like to worship by giving, you can do so online at graceriver.cc. That's graceriver.cc. Have an awesome day, and we will see you soon. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris, lead pastor here at Grace River Church, and I want to say thank you for joining us online at home today. I hope we're at whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, uh, you're taking next steps closer to meeting, knowing, and following Jesus. Hope you're having an awesome summer, too. It's crazy to think that summer is wrapping up, and as you think about getting into new habits and new rhythms in your life, I want to really encourage you to check out what we call uh, 15 Days of Prayer. And so 15 Days of Prayer is something coming up in the life of our church starting August 8th through the 22nd. That's August 8th through the 22nd. Uh, on Sunday, August 8th, this kicks off at our normal service times, 9 and 1030. But check this out. On the 9th, the next day, Monday through Friday, we meet at 6 a.m. every day right here at the church, and we're going to be challenging you to pray. And so uh, what happens is our worship team comes, they do a couple songs, somebody from our leadership team at our church will speak for a few minutes, and then we break out and we, we give you uh, a prayer thing that you need to do. And so you, you break out and begin to pray. It's going to be a really awesome, awesome opportunity uh, for you to grow spiritually and jumpstart your faith. And so when I say a prayer thing, what I'm saying is that we give you a guided prayer uh, that you can walk through every single day. And so I hope that you come and check that out. August 8th to the 22nd, that's getting ready to start this next weekend. And so uh, I cannot wait to see what God does as a result of that. So August 8th through the 22nd and Sunday, August 8th kicks, kicks off 15 days of prayer. So I hope that you can come and join us do, during that. And also uh, our small group semester is getting ready to start as well. And so small groups will be kicking off in September. You can sign up for a small group today by going to the website graceriver.cc forward slash small groups. That's graceriver.cc forward slash small groups. We're going to be talking more about the influence that a small group can have in your life, helping you take a next step spiritually. So today is our last installment uh, of a six-week series in the book of Colossians. I hope that you've enjoyed this series. I hope that it is helping you take a next step on your spiritual journey. Let's dive into this talk today. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're wrapping this series up, as I mentioned. Uh, and this is everybody's favorite part of Colossians, where we talk about uh, the big word submission here. Let's read this together. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now, we're not going to stop there. We're going to continue to read because there's something for the wife to do, but there's something even bigger for the husband to do. Look at this in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Husbands, how are you doing at that, right? Never treat them harshly. If you're sitting next to your spouse right now, uh, do not Jesus juke them, okay? We're going to move on. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. And so, uh, and then also there's a passage in here about slaves, uh, and we're going to talk about the modern day version of that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Uh, try, uh, try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And so remember, the Lord will give you, this is important, an inheritance as your reward, and that the master, of your, uh, master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no 
favorites. And then there's a, a warning from masters here in chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master that's in heaven. And so uh, we've been talking about this new life that we have in Christ through Colossians. Uh, Paul talks a lot about this. Paul wrote the book of Colossians, and he wrote it to a new church in a town called Colossae. And these new believers in this new church were living this new life. And if, you, if something is new, you also are made new, so you should have new relationships. And so today, we're going to talk about how the new life that you have in Christ should impact uh, your relationships in a new way. And so you should view relationships in a new way, not, not selfishly, but unselfishly. And so uh, be unselfish towards my family. I think that's the first thing that we got to look at today as we talk about uh, Colossians chapter 3. The overarching message is, hey, let's not be selfish. And there were some instructions for wives and for husbands, for children and father, for slaves and for masters. And so uh, some key words here. The key words for wife that we looked at earlier is simply submission. And I know that's hard. I and mean, let's just get it out in the open. This is a little awkward, right? Submission doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you give up equality, that you give up the right to be heard. In fact, there's four quick truths I want to give you about submission. The first one is it doesn't cancel out equality. So it doesn't mean that you're not equal to your husband uh, if you're a wife today, okay? So what's really important is this doesn't mean that you're less of a person, all right? That's a really important thing to understand about submission. Everyone must submit to someone. That's another very important thing when it comes to submission. We all have someone that we submit to. If you have a boss, you submit to your boss, right? Uh, if, you have, uh, if, if you are a follower of God, who do you submit to? You submit to God. Even Jesus submitted to the Father. We're going to talk about the role of submission and what that plays in our lives. It does not mean that if asked to, uh, to disobey God. So uh, you cannot disobey God in, in line with submission. So you can't have someone hang that over your head and make you submit if that's against what God wants you to do with your life. And so uh, if your husband's asking you to submit to do something illegal, for example, that would be uh, error, all right? And so it's important for us to recognize that's not biblical submission. And then also it can't be imposed. And so what's interesting is that you, if you're a husband today, you could never impose submission on your wife. You can't remind her of this verse. You can't tell her that she should submit. That's, it's never to be imposed on anyone. So key word here is that wives should submit. And really what submission looks like, it's the word picture of standing under an umbrella. Uh, because what you do as a wife is you stand under your husband's umbrella. You're standing under his protection as he stands under, under the umbrella of God. And so what's really important here is this, is that we are not saying that you don't make decisions together. We're not saying uh, that, that you are less of a person if you are a female. That is not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible is very outspoken about the role that females play. And I think it's really important that we understand uh, that this submission thing does not mean that you are less. It simply means that God is more. And so that's what I really want you to understand, that God has a role that he wants us to stand under his protection uh, and underneath the protection of our husbands. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind here. Also, key words to children uh, is this, is that children should obey their parents. And again, that's a child standing underneath the umbrella of their parents. And that's another, that's another big step, a key word or a key thought. And again, uh, it's important that we lay a foundation in our kids' hearts that they would obey what we have to say. Now, I have three kids, and I'd love to tell you that they are always nailing it at this. In fact, last week, I had to get onto my son and just say, hey, when I ask you to do something, I really mean it, right? 
uh, and I tried not to raise my voice the best that I could, uh, but I think it's important that we install these things in the life of our kids because this is what God wants us to do. This is God's prescription for how the family should be ran. Key, key word for fathers here, if you're a dad, is to don't. Uh, and if you remember that, don't discourage your kids. And so, uh, and what I mean by that is don't irritate them. And there's a couple ways that we can easily slide into this, okay? We can insult them, we can ignore them, and we can indulge in them. And so uh, these are three important things not to do, things that you should not do and will only lead to discouragement for your kids. The first thing is never insult your kids. If you are a dad, if you are a mom, never insult your kids. Never call them names, never insult them, talk highly of them. Uh, I think that sometimes our culture says that that would be okay. What I want you to know is, is that whenever you insult your kids, you are scarring them for life. You're saying things to them that they will not forget. I don't think we quite understand the power behind our words, but something that you, a next step that you may need to take today, if you're a parent, especially if you're a father, is to repent of this, to repent of insulting your kids. This is a surefire way to hurt them for a lifetime. You can also ignore them. And I think this is something that we're all guilty of as parents is ignoring our kids. Uh, we all have a phone, right, that keeps us pretty distracted most days. And if we're not careful, uh, this can really affect us. Uh, the phone, the TV, our iPad, our laptops. And I think this will be the first generation of kids that will sit in counseling chairs and hear about uh, and talk to their counselor about the fact that their parents ignored them. And so uh, they were too busy on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, too busy writing emails and doing work. And that's, that's something that needs to stop. And that may be a next step for you as a parent is, man, make a conscious effort not to ignore your kids. Make a decision to say when you're driving in the car with them, you're listening to them. When you're having a meal with them, you're listening to them. We want them to listen to us. Uh, but oftentimes we're not listening to what they have to say. And then also don't indulge them. Uh, I was recently in an airport and I was walking uh, from one plane to the next and I walked past a toy store. And as I walked past the toy store, uh, it was like a FEO Schwartz toy store. As I walked past this toy store, it was jam packed full of dads buying gifts, overpriced gifts for their kids. And the reason why these dads were doing this, they, they were business travelers that felt guilty about being away from their family. And that's a picture of a bigger problem that oftentimes we can dismiss the fact that we're busy and that we ignore them in overindulgement to try to buy back or purchase back their love. And what your kids want more than anything is not more stuff, more things. What they want, what they want is you. And so it's important that we give them ourselves. So key words to fathers are don't. Don't discourage your kids. Don't irritate them. Uh, I used to irritate my kids because I would always love to put their face right next to my face uh, whenever they were younger, when they were babies. And it would drive them crazy, make them cry. It was never a good thing. I ignored this passage of Scripture, and I regret that today. But I think about the things that I do today in a tangible way that irritate my kids and lead them to discouragement. And I, I wonder, why do I do those things? It's important that we repent of this stuff. Key words for slaves is is do it for the Lord. Now, if you have a job today, uh, you have a boss. And that's the, the metaphor for this is simply this, is that you aren't a slave. You, you willingly go to work. You get paid for this job. But there was a day uh, 2,000 years ago where some of the people reading this passage in Colossians were not free people. They were slaves. 
So as Paul wrote this to them, he was reminding them, hey, listen, you don't work for your slave owner. You don't work for your boss. You ultimately work for the Lord. And that's a really important thing, a big distinction when it comes to that relationship. So today, I want you to think about your boss for a moment, if you have a boss. And I want you to simply think about, man, I don't work for him. I've had to repent over the years. I, I had a boss that I absolutely loved, and I still love this man. Just a great, great pastor, great friend, great boss. But what I found, found myself doing was I would work hard at my job to please him and make his life easy, never really thinking a lot about the fact that if I'm not working for him, I'm actually working for the Lord. And so I, I think that it's a gigantic shift in your life to really think about, man, the job that you have, whatever it is that you do professionally, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, uh, you work in an office, uh, you work from home, uh, you work in a classroom or a doctor's office, whatever it is that you do, you don't just do it for the boss that you have. You ultimately do it for the Lord. We're going to talk later on in this sermon about uh, the fact that we got to walk in wisdom uh, around people that are unbelievers because they, they see our work, they see what we do, and there should be something different about us. And also, uh, there's a key word to masters, and that's to provide for those uh, that, that work underneath you. And so, uh, the, again, he was talking to owners of slaves 2,000 years ago, but metaphorically speaking today, we could understand that those of us uh, that, that have someone underneath us, uh, we have employees that we manage, it's important for you to go, man, I want to provide for these people. I don't want to make their lives hard. I want to make their lives better, right? And so it's important that we provide financially, but we also provide emotionally uh, with the needs of people uh, that work with us, underneath us, that we manage. And so uh, basically the bottom line is this. All relationships should be led by unselfish love. If I can summarize all the things that Paul talks about here in Colossians, at the end of Colossians chapter 3, he's essentially just saying, listen, Cover these relationships in unselfish love. Unselfish love means I'm not looking at, at what I can get out of this, okay? I, w- I don't want something from them. I want something for them. So um, wives, you don't want something from your husband. You want something for your husband. Husbands, you don't want something from your wife. You want something for your wife. Parents, you don't want something from your kids. You want something for your kids. Uh, employees, you don't want something from your employer, you want something for your employer. And those of you that employ people, you don't want something from them, you want something for them. It's an unselfish kind of love. And so how do you, how do you live this kind of devoted life, right? You do this through devotion, and that starts with prayer and thankfulness. Paul mentions that there at, at the end of uh, chapter 3, the importance of us leading with prayer and thankfulness. And so uh, it's really important that we make that distinction and that, that life-changing thing in this new life that you and I live. What should be carved out in this new life is prayer, is thankfulness. And again, I mentioned earlier, 15 days of prayer is a great way for you to jumpstart your prayer life starting on August 8th. I just really, really, really want to press into that. August 8th, that Sunday morning, that's when this starts. But also August 9th, that Monday, we kick it off for the entire week. We meet on Saturdays at 9 a.m. Really, really want to press this into you, man. If you're looking to jumpstart your faith, this is a great place for you to be. Also, a heart full of thankfulness because when my heart is full of thankfulness, what I'm doing is I'm really settling up on contentment. I'm not focusing on all the things that I wish that I had. Instead, I'm looking at all the things that God has given me and I'm thankful for those things. And so uh, another thing that Paul tells us to do in this passage is to be wise with non-believers. 
that we would walk in wisdom uh, concerning our relationships with people that aren't yet following Christ, which you should have some relationships like that in your life. Like it's a healthy thing uh, for you to have people in your life that are not believers because it challenges you and it helps your witness and it helps you to be all that God wants you to be. God never said, uh, and Jesus specifically never said, don't be friends with people that aren't believers. Now I would caution you this, if your best friends are unbelievers, that may be a problem. Uh, but we should all have some relationships, some friendships in our life with people that are spiritually disconnected. And so Colossians chapter 4 talks about this warning uh, and how to walk in wisdom. But Colossians 4 verses 3 through 4 says, Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Now look at this for a second. Paul is writing and he's saying, listen, that, that you would pray, and this is the important thing about prayer, that God would give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. How long has it been since you prayed and you asked God for opportunities to share your faith? Just a question. That's why I'm here in chains. Again, Paul is writing this passage of Scripture in chains. And it's really important to, to recognize Paul was in prison in chains because of the fact that he was spreading this hope about Jesus. He wasn't in chains, he wasn't in prison because he had stolen something, lied about something, done something shady. Like the reason he's in jail during this time period is because they came to him and said, you've got to stop preaching the gospel. You've got to stop talking about the good news about Jesus. And what's interesting is he would not submit to that government authority. Why? Because it was unbiblical for him to do so. So he continued to do it. And here he is in jail. He says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. So Paul's prayer request in jail is not better food, is not justice, uh, is not freedom. His prayer request in jail is that he would get more opportunities to share his faith. Now, I'm not even going to ask you what you would do if you were in jail and what your prayer request could, would be. Now, I, I, my, my prayer request would not be as positive as this. If we're honest, yours wouldn't be either, right? I don't care how holy you think you are. But there's a few takeaways from this passage that I think are really important. First of all, pray in the way that you think. I mean, this was an outlook perspective for Paul, and it, it changed the way that he thought. Specifically, pray for an open door. Like, we need to be praying for open-door opportunities to share our faith, to let other people know uh, the truth about Jesus. What's interesting about the area that we live in is that the name of Jesus is not some foreign name. Everyone knows about the name of Jesus. But very few people in our community that we live in know the truth about Jesus. We need to be praying for open opportunities to share our faith, to talk about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And I know that can sometimes feel like, man, I'm going to mess up. And that's why I think it's really important for us to pray for a clear message, that we would be able to communicate this clearly. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before where you had an opportunity to share your faith and maybe you balked at it, maybe you didn't do it. And later on, a few hours later, you thought, man, I wish I would have said it differently. I wish I would have said this. And what's interesting is when we pray, and pray for an open door like what Paul talks about, and pray for clarity with the message. We don't have to teach the entire Bible to our unbelieving friends. Like You don't have to open up the biggest Bible that you have and hit them in the head with it. The greatest thing you could ever do is to simply share your story. Your story consists of three parts. It's what your life was like before you met Christ, right? What happened in your life for you to meet Christ? What, what event took place? And then 
How is your life different today as a result of all of this? And I know one of the biggest reasons we talk about, one of the biggest excuses I hear from people is I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, if you lead with your brokenness, you're not going to be a hypocrite. If you lead with the fact in these kind of conversations that, hey, I don't have it all together and I'm still a work in progress, what that does, little statements like that give you the right to be a sinner gives you the right to be a human being. Now, again, we shouldn't like treat God's grace like a doormat, but at the same time, we also shouldn't project ourselves as perfect people because that's simply so far from the truth. So pray in the way that you think, that's, that's one step. And then also wisdom in the way that you act. That whenever you're around your unbelieving friends, whenever you're around people that are spiritually disconnected, that you need to walk in wisdom as you do that. It's really, really important. And I think sometimes... Even myself, I step away from this from time to time, and I have to really think about, man, I am representing not just myself, but I'm representing Jesus in all that I do. We talked about that last week. Verses 5 through 6 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers, and make the most of every opportunity. This is really important, that we would live in wisdom around unbelievers. So I'm, I'm a big fan of doing business with people that are unbelievers. But you know what's really important is that I pay them on time. Like that's walking in wisdom. What's really important is my attitude when I'm around them. What's really important is uh, the, the, the way that I talk, uh, the way that I act, right? This is really important uh, because, man, I got to live wisely amongst people that aren't believers because one of the biggest reasons for athean, atheism, atheism and agnosticism is believers because we don't live our lives any different than anybody else so who would want what we have it's really important for you and i to walk in wisdom in the way that we act and so that there is a distinction between us and other people we should be some of the nicest kindest most generous people out there because of what jesus has done in our hearts but do you know what the reputation of a lot of Christians is? I'm not trying to be a bully here, but the reputation of so many Christians is that we are stingy, is that we have really bad attitudes, and it's that we don't care about our neighbors. That is a problem that needs to be fixed. That's a tension that needs to be managed. And we could blame other people, but the fact is we have to look into our own lives and go, man, how am I doing in the way that I walk? How am I doing uh, in the way that I act in wisdom uh, around other people? And then also uh, grace in the way that you talk. So wisdom in the way that you, you act, but also grace in the way that you talk. This is really important about the words that come out of your mouth. And so uh, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. Man, the words that we say to people that are spiritually disconnected are heavy. And it's very important that we think about the way that we are talking to other people. This new life that you have in Christ should dictate these new relationships. It should change things, right? And so you should act differently to those people that aren't following Christ yet. And so grace in the way that you talk. So what does this new life look like? Uh, we're also filled with the message of Christ. So connection with other believers here. This is really important. The connection, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about today. The connection with other believers. Colossians chapter 4 uh, verses 7 through 8. Paul is going to make a list now of people uh, that meant something to him during this time period. In fact, it's interesting because in Paul's letter, he mentions a hundred different people. And Paul's, and if you combine all of his different epistles, all the different letters that Paul mentions, he gives shout-outs to a hundred different people. 
But at the end of this letter, he gives shout outs to some people and there's significance to every person he gives a shout out to. And the significance is, is that he was living in community, in relationship with other people that were following Christ. And I'm going to tell you something, man, listen to me. If you want to take a next step on your spiritual journey, you cannot do it alone. You need other people praying with you. You need other people walking with you. You need other people encouraging you. And one of the greatest ways you can do that is through joining a small group. And I'm I'm telling you, this will change your life. I've never taken a spiritual step by myself. I've always taken it with other people. And so, man, I really want to encourage you to join a small group this fall. Uh, Small group registration starts this next week. It's going to be great. You can go to graceriver.cc forward slash small groups to sign up for groups. But look at, let's look at what Paul mentions here. He mentions Tychicus. Uh, he says this, that, that Tychicus would, will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. Notice what he says here. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper, helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. He's saying this, listen, this guy, he's a beloved brother. Now that's not like macho man, Randy Savage, WWF wrestler talk like brother, right? What he's saying is, is he's saying this man is like a brother to me. That's what he's saying. Like our relationship is so close that he's like a brother. And he says that this brother is a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. And I want to say for a second, I want to say thank you to all the faithful brothers and sisters that make the work here at Grace River so much fun. Uh, Our church is full of people uh, that are meeting, knowing, and following Jesus, that are serving him. And it's a joy to serve along with you. But man, if you're not in a relationship like this, where you're serving in a church, where you're, uh, where you're like faithfully committed to a place uh, where you can serve, I want to encourage you to get there. Uh, and verse eight says, I have sent him, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know uh, how we are doing to encourage you. One interesting fact about Tychicus is that church historians believe that he was the one that actually wrote these letters, that it was Paul dictating what to say to him because Paul was in chains and could not write. And so he was having Tychicus actually write these things down. So he was essentially the secretary for Paul. He says, I'm also sending you Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. Uh, You'll find out later in the book of Philemon, if you read this, you'll find this guy's name as well. And the interesting thing about Onesimus was Onesimus was once a slave, but was also set free. And so what happened uh, during this time period is that there were masters and there were slaves, uh, but because of what the gospel did, the masters let their slaves go. And Onesimus was one of these slaves that were once captive and was set free because of the power of the gospel. And he says this, he is one of your own people. So obviously he's from Colossae. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that is happening here and that everything that is happening here thing are slaves also being set free. And so, uh, and the church growing. Articicus, who is uh, uh, in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barabbas's cousin, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. This is significant because Mark and Paul at one point uh, did get at odds with each other. And so it's an interesting backstory, but it's, it's wild to see that amongst believers, there are wrongs that happen, but there's also forgiveness that is offered. And so don't allow one bad Christian relationship to keep you from another. Also, don't allow unforgiveness to keep you from the next step because we know that at some point 
there was some kind of a sideways thing that happened between uh, Mark and Paul. Mark was one of, uh, one of the disciples that wrote one of the four Gospels. And so Mark and Paul, at one point, we don't know what happened between the two of them, but they, they end up making a split as a result of it. And so, but interesting, because now you see him being very benevolent about Mark. He says, hey, and so does Mark, Barabbas' cousin, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. What he's saying here is, is Mark is important because he matters to God. And so sometimes we allow bad relationships or unforgiveness to ruin or wreck us. And I, I love what Paul includes here, the backstory. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, many people think that Epaphras actually planted the church in Colossae. Uh, he says this, he sends you his greetings. He also prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Herapolis. What's interesting is, is that Epaphras is not just kind of casually praying for his friends in Colossae. Paul reassures them that, listen, he is praying and he is praying hard for you. Like he is, he is really concerned and praying for you. Luke the beloved doctor. And so Luke wrote, uh, Luke wrote one of the twelve, one of the four gospels as well. He was one of the twelve disciples. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Now, interesting about Demas. So again, backstory on Luke. We know that Luke was one of the twelve disciples, uh, and so he's he's a beloved follower of Christ. Now, Demas is also mentioned in Timothy, uh, a book that Paul writes, and Demas in, ends up leaving the faith, and Paul mentions here. Uh, that Demas fell in love with the world. And so I, I think that's an interesting thing that Paul kind of mentions here when he talks about Demas. And so he, he mentions Demas here, but Demas would later go on to leave the faith, to leave Paul, uh, and to leave following Christ because of the love that he had for the world instead. And so verse 15 says, Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and, and Nympha and the church that meets uh, in her house. And so after you have read this letter, he wraps it up by saying, after you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And, and you should read the letter I wrote to them and say to uh, Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Now, Archippus was a, a new believer, a younger believer, and this was a little moment where Paul was going to encourage this new believer uh, to say, man, keep going, carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. And if, if Paul was talking to you today, I think he would say something very similar, man. Keep going. Carry out the ministry. Carry out this new life that God has given you. So I want to give you some really clear next steps uh, before we part ways today. And the next steps are this is where do you need to find, where do you need to be made new in your, in your relationships? In these new relationships, because of this new life that you found in Christ, where do you need to be made new? Do you need to make a decision to be a little less selfish? Uh, to, to put the priority on, on people instead of your schedule and what you have going on, right? Where is it that you need to go, man, I need to love my wife better. Uh, I need to love my kids better. I need to love my, my husband better. I need to honor my boss and recognize that even if he's kind of a jerk to me, I don't work for him. I work for the Lord. Or maybe, maybe you are a boss and you need to go, man, I, I've been treating my employees like dirt and it's time to change my perspective on that, man. If I'm living this new life in Christ, how is it really any different? And so uh, where do you need to be new in your relationships? The second question I want to ask is for your next step is, are you using wisdom with those outside of the faith? Like, are you really walking and talking and acting in wisdom uh, for those people that are outside of the faith? And my hope is that you are. 
because you may be the only Jesus they ever get to see. And so, man, my hope is that you are walking in wisdom. And then do you have a genuine connection with another follower of Christ? Like, is there someone in your life that you have a genuine connection with? Paul mentioned the significance of that genuine connection. And so I wonder today, do you have a connection like that with another believer? If you don't, that may be your next step. Which one of these three are your next step? Could you identify that? And I'm going to pray for you right now in your seat. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for my friends that listen today, and I pray that you would help them to see what their next steps are. God, give us clarity and wisdom as we walk in this new life. We know that we have new relationships as a result of this new life, and so God, give us the courage to know the next step to take and to actually take that next step. God, again, we love you, and we, wait. we can't wait to see what you're going to do next in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our 9 or 1030 a.m. worship services. We hope you have a great week.